0: All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, our designated hitter himself. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Ah,
1: let's go again. Danny, did you like my write-up in
0: Spin Magazine? I thought this the moment I read it. I was like, oh, you're giving our friend Jack Curry a run for his money. You know what? You know what's funny? That's I up. picked
1: the Yankees record perfectly last season. Mm-hmm. And who is the one person, you know, you expect the aggregators, the aggregators only show up. If you fuck up, like I picked the Yankees record perfectly last season, did like 10 people show up on Twitter being like, Benny, you nailed it. No, no one knows (laughs) the one person who hit me up. Jack Curry saying, (laughs) Benny, you nailed it. You nailed it. And we talk, I, you know, he's, he's my, my version of a Yankees insider, you know? Yeah. Great guy. Uh, true friend.
0: by the way, his day for today on opening day 9 a.m to first pitch and then after he's living up there in Connecticut. It's busy it's busy.
1: I'm at the point of my fantasy basketball season that I'm rolling with Markel Fultz and <laughs> Ben McLemore tonight. I'm I'm literally picking up players on the logic that they're fighting for their place in the NBA, (laughs) and that's the reason they're going to be playing hard. This whole week, I'm only picking up Hornets, Hawks, Pelicans, and Spurs. Anyone trying to get into the (laughs) play-in is the only person. So anyone who owns a fantasy basketball league, you should probably clip it last week because this is
0: crazy. Brutal. Brutal. Well, as you know, I'm no fantasy expert, but we don't need to get into that.
1: Well, you got to know, though. We'll put it out here on wax because it's so important to me. I've been in Jeff Rosenstock's Fantasy Basketball League for six seasons now. I've come in third place once. I've come in second twice. I've been beaten in the finals twice. I am in the finals again playing Matt, the drummer from the sidekicks. Wonderful guy, but I hope to bury him in the ground. I want this bad this week. <laughs> you want it so want bad. That Jeff Rosenstock crown.
0: I love it. And then after you win, you can talk about, you know, like like your team culture, like your Miami Heat.
1: I mean, listen, we're talking about three finals appearances in the last five seasons. So Better than the Lakers. I got a LeBron level, but but <laughs> I am in like Karl Malone, Chris Paul kind of territory right now. If I lose <laughs> again,
0: there's something else going on. So this you gotta, is an important one. If you don't win this one, they start talking about blowing up the team. And next thing you know, you're Quinn Snyder in Los Angeles. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. I'm out of the top 75 all time if I don't bring this one home. I'm going to have to jump ship (laughs) to to a much stronger franchise (laughs) in a couple seasons if I can't bring one home. Love that. Clyde Drexler style, you know?
0: Well, we will get to what's wrong with the Lakers in a little bit. Oh, yeah. But, Benny, I want to know what's up with you. You got things are starting to heat back up. What's new in your neck of the woods?
1: Oh, you know me, I'm taking care of my seeds and that's all good. And like plants, uh, right? Yeah, Just gearing up it. for, for uh, recording some music with uh, Jay Shevchak and Heath Saraceno, that project we're doing. And then uh, Gaslight's been practicing, running, mm-hmm. through some, running through some songs, maybe even experimenting with some new ideas. And uh, it's been fun, actually. I mean, there's like, you know, they talk about those uh, – you know, Oh, it's like riding a bike. You get that. And like, you know, once you just sit in a room with these people again and start doing it, you're like, Oh, right. Like these guys, <laughs> like, this is, I know this better than almost anything. You know, I've spent more time doing this than almost anything. So it feels, uh, yeah, like really, really familiar, even with, with that much time past.
0: What an open of teases because, uh, another band came back in their original form uh, right. This past week, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We'll get into that in a little bit. But you want to know what's a oldie but a goodie? Hasn't left our side. Still part of the band after all these years, Benny. You want to know what that is?
1: That was a professional-ass segue. Tell me what it is. It's
0: this day music history. <laughs> do, 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 do.
1: Well done. <laughs> well done. So on this day in 1968... Ooh. The TV special Petula airs on NBC. And at one point in the show, host Petula Clark uh, grabs hold of Harry Belafonte's arm while they're singing a duet. This marks the first time a white woman and black man have physical contact on television. This is 1968. Sometimes you just need a reminder like how long it has not been. Yeah. since we were even more fucked up than we were now. The show was recorded a month earlier, which uh, gave producers plenty of time to alter it, but Patula Clark insisted it remain, despite objections from uh, the show's sponsor, Chrysler. Big surprise. Uh, and coverage of the incident was, was pretty big, and people expecting a scandal were greatly disappointed because they're uh, two very classy people who just... Uh, went on TV and did a classy gesture. The one thing I was wondering about this was did you know the name Patula Clark before I brought this up?
0: I had heard of it, but as like media history part of a uh, v like the OG Breakfast Club out of Chicago.
1: Yeah, I didn't see, I didn't know, you know, I didn't even recognize the name and then I was looking her up and I'm like, oh, we're talking seven decades of playing music, 70 million records. She was a uh, child entertainer on the BBC during World War II. She had a run in the U.S. with Downtown, My Love. And she's sometimes called the First Lady of the British Invasion. Wow. So Petula Clark uh, was a, a big-time player. And and I think maybe that's why when this TV show came to a cross, she had the power, right, to be like, nah, like, this is the way I want it. And that's the the correct way to wield power. So respect to Patula Clark, and Harry Belafonte, of course, who is still alive at eighty nine years old, living in England. So good for you, Patula. Big ups.
0: Probably just as big of a heartthrob as ever, but
1: oh, she's got to be a
0: fox. Oh, I meant a uh, Harry Belafonte. But who's counting? Oh. Who's keeping? Giving... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benny. On this day in twenty seventeen, that's right, almost. Going line in line with our history. Uh Tupac Shakur, Joan Baez, and Pearl Jam. What do they all have in common? They went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on this day in 2017. That's an interesting group. Yeah. You think they hang out?
1: Tupac ever listened to Joan <laughs> Baez.
0: Yeah. Cause I think, you know, I think he was one of these dudes kind of like, like Questlove is now that listens to everything to try to get these samples.
1: Was Tupac a sample hunter? I don't know that yeah, about him. Yeah. I don't know if he was.
0: There's a lot of things we don't know about Tupac that people just kind of this assume. might have to be a
1: tune-up poll. <laughs> Did it? Tupac listen to Joan Baez? <laughs> eh, my votes, no. He died too young. I yeah. think if he made it to like his 30s, yeah, he would have had a Joan Baez phase. But I don't. I don't think he got it in.
0: That's unfortunate. Now, does Eddie Vedder listen to Joan Baez? Oh, come Th- on. That's an even probably got a poster. <laughs> got the poster. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's got a poster. He kisses a poster.
0: Love that. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, Benny, our first headline today and mm. a band and an album that probably is, is this, this album that they put out, Unlimited Love, is going to have a ton of samples in the hip-hop community because it's just that kind of vibe. On mm. April 1st, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are back. We as a music loving community were blessed with the 12th Red Hot Chili Peppers studio album. Twelve. Um 12 that's unbelievable. Uh, this was the first album since 2006 that featured John Frusciante, which today probably would have been a good Brian Fallon day, but hey, cuz I know nobody <laughs> loves that guy more than him. Um but yeah, so they're they're back together, they're vibing, it's it's all great. Um, the guys from the Red Hot Chili Peppers were actually on Howard Stern, and John Frusciante talked about coming back to the band.
2: It was a certain amount of soul-searching that I'd done. It seemed like I'd changed and grown enough as a person to where it felt like it would be a beautiful thing to have another chance to do it right. I felt that way when I rejoined the first time. Uh, on a personal level and on a musical level, I had some new ideas about where i thought those relationships could go and it was the same thing this time i just i i was seeing anthony and flea and chad through a different lens than i had seen them through when i quit not that either time that i quit that it was specifically anything to do with personal but you know having a personal relationship in a band is is a hard thing you've got to be in sync with four people working as hard as they work doing you know going where they go doing what they do almost thinking what they think it's an intense thing to do you know and so i've found for myself that 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 i've needed a i've needed to clear my head of it and try to figure out who i am as a person and i really wanted to have that have that closeness and that kind of vulnerable interaction with them again
0: so that courtesy of Howard Stern on SiriusXM, um, you know we've we've uh, we've talked a bunch on the show about band dynamics, but in, but in your opinion, what is different when original members get back together to create something new out of what's always been?
1: And it's such a beautiful sentiment what he was just saying, and so honest and uh, and empathetic. I really appreciated what he just said and. I almost wish like all bands operated in this context which is like uh you know when everything cosmically feels right with people when ideas are flowing when all ideas are respected when everybody feels like they have a certain place that's one aspect and then when we decide we have something unique to say as a band musically you know which is also another aspect and until those things are actually in play bands probably shouldn't play but the thing is like you know it's not like you stop playing music and then oh back to the office (laughs) like it's your life so that's when I think bands get stuck in these ruts and John Frusciante is almost lucky in the way where like his band and those guys the other ones are damn machine that never stopped and kept this thing going and kept it afloat and he you know because he's so uniquely talented can kind of pepper himself in when he feels he has that much to give so you got to give them credit for keeping this whole thing going
0: while that is in play right? You know we always look at sports through the music lens and then music through like the sports lens and I feel like in music, it's way more accepted for a, a guy to step away for personal reasons. And sometimes it can impact the, the culture of, of the team and how, how that's happening. But the fact that you know they continue to put out, out records, uh, break all sorts of, of streaming records without him, and then he comes back, and you're like, oh, that's the sound? I mean, when you miss time from anything, you're going to be a little rusty, and it just seems like they combined what they were doing with what they used to do, and it really works for right now.
1: It's interesting you say that, but I think the difference in the sports and music dynamic is like, yes, musicians have a closing window for a number of reasons, but it's not the kind of closing window that athletes have. Mm. So I think like you know, when a musician is like, I'm going to take a year to like, sit in an ashram and, you know, in New Delhi and like figure out everything and get spiritually worked up to make new music again. Like, if you're like age 26, prime athlete, and you decide to do that that year, you know, like realistically, you're taking out a year from the resume, the whole Hall of Fame, the career, the finals, you have this like, 15 to 20 year window where everything has to happen for you. And in music, you know, you can be Neil Young. You can be Chuck Berry. You can go on stage at 90 years old and still be learning things, which, so I think that's a big difference there as far as the pressure that an athlete would face, you know, um, it was funny. We were just talking about the chili peppers. As you said, Mr. Brian Fallon is a, a big Fashante fan and also just a big chili peppers fan in general. And like, you know, kind of the way they're presenting themselves is a little bit of a model. You know, we like like what they're doing. It feels right. I see these pictures of them as like old men. They fucking look cool. They're still the Chili Peppers. They got like their thing. Like it's so specific. No one else can do it. And we were talking about what makes that band special. And it's it's what you mentioned earlier, like the very, very unique components of that band because it's like if you took chad smith and flea separately away from those other two you know they're obviously vastly talented guys but they could be like the best like white funk guys in california and not really have broken into rock you know what i mean <laughs> but then you have john fashante like peppering in this like very beautiful ethereal stuff over top And Keith is doing what he does. He takes a lot of shit, but like that is the voice of the Chili Peppers. That's the style of the Chili Peppers. No one else can be in it, and no one else can fucking have long ass hair and run shirtless and slow mo during like the Under the Bridge video. (laughs) Like it's their like whole thing, you know. And I think the Chili Peppers are one of the most shining examples of. uh, You take away a bunch of these components and put it on their own. I don't know if they're even good, you know, <laughs> but like you put it into chili peppers and it's magnificent.
0: Benny, you know, we always whenever anybody from New Jersey makes any sort of music news, we talk about it right here. And Have to. New Jersey's own Jack Antonoff has been named producer of the year non-classical at the 2022 Grammys. That's right. We typically do not recognize the Grammys on this program. But when New Jersey does something, we give a tip of the cap. That's it. absolutely right. Um, over the course of the past year, he has had quite the year. You want to talk about winning quarantine? I thought I thought we did pretty good. He produced Taylor Swift's Gold Rush, Alano, Lana Del Rey's album, St. Vincent's album, Lord's album, um, mm-hmm. as well as, oh, yeah, just putting together his own album for bleachers and going out on tour and absolutely crushing it. So, Benny, we have this sports Mount Rushmore conversation. We have this New Jersey Mount Rushmore conversation. I'm not saying he's there, but is Jack climbing his way up the New Jersey music Mount Rushmore?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, this is a, this is a thing of note. You know what I mean? Like this is a big effing deal. I think the only thing that would go against him in the Mount Rushmore thing is that he's winning these awards as a producer and stuff like that. And it takes a lot and a long career and a lot of these albums To get on a Mount Rushmore as a producer, you know, so I feel like he's gonna have to continue his also musical career and maybe you know cement a couple more more hits and more collabs and things like (laughs) that. But sure, I mean this is a really big deal and and if I'm not mistaken, isn't he's he's like a Morris County kid or something? I believe. My wife knows someone who dated him back in the day. <laughs> like he's he's a proper local and he came from the thing. So much respect to uh to Jack Antonoff. You know what this made me think about though? What was like just the Jersey thing, right? Like it's not a big place, mm. small place actually. You know, like it takes you two days to drive through Texas. Takes <laughs> either two or three hours either way to drive through New Jersey. You know, yeah. and but there's such a rich tapestry of people who have come out of here and and again like jack's another example and i was trying to think of it you know that a lot of people have reasons and geographically it has a lot to do with it culturally it has a lot of that but what is it about jersey that uh creates the why not me mentality
0: is this rhetorical or
1: no i'm asking you i think what is it about new jersey that creates the oh, that person did it? Yeah. Like, I could do it too.
0: Why not? You know what it is? And I, I know that this sounds like cliche or, or, or maybe phony, but when you're just out here looking at, at the skyline and you you know people every day that are like, even if they're not in like entertainment, they're going into New York, they're doing the thing. You have CEOs that live here, but they're, but they're also living right next to like people that work at like the bagel shop and like, Everything like that, so it's like I feel like in in a, a lot of places, it's like there's a and don't don't get me wrong, there's a lot of separation in like New Jersey, but I think it's like you can be like, oh, like this person lived right there. I mean, it mm. it, it it's kind of the same reason why I'm like, oh, like this person made a movie, I can f and do that. Like like I like yeah, I, I've got, I got I've got a similar experience. Like like why right. not me? And kind of the probably the same reason that you went to music. You're like, oh, all these guys are doing it. I'm way better drummer than these people. So there's just like a confidence or just like a... And I think when you get a area that has mostly been immigrants and you get second, third generation, you're like, that thing that they did was way harder than anything I have to deal with.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I think some of the post-revolutionary war crowd may, uh, may resent what you just said, but no, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I guess it's uh, most people... Fake it till they make it anyway. Jersey just 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 knows how to put that foot forward, you know?
0: Without the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you want to talk about somebody faking it. Talk about bullshit. Bull oh, bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I missed it right there. Uh, Benny, let's talk about Kanye West because, you know, we had two very uplifting stories and then we got to talk about Ye a little bit. And Kanye West pulled out of Coachella to be, he he was scheduled to be a headliner. He's been since replaced by The Weeknd in Swedish House Mafia, which that for me with my accent is a horrible band to say every time. (laughs) But this is the second time that Ye has pulled out of a headlining gig at Coachella. One of the reasons he pulled out, according to sources, which is uh, if, yeah. this, if this is that guy Cootie again, that the Netflix documentary, so help yeah. me God. But apparently he was just wasn't preparing for this role and this concert. So uh, a lot going on there. But Benny, I want to talk a, about this to you from someone who's like, uh, been booked for gigs and, and stuff like that. At what point do uh, promoters start getting a little sweaty and be like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to book Kanye for this.
1: I mean, now, I guess. I mean, that's the thing. On the back end of this and on the business end of this, there has to be guarantees for both sides to not get totally screwed. And that's probably contingent on this happening. But, uh, you know, I've talked about it before on the show. Talk about it now. There is a usually a, a very large transfer of money Well, prior to a show taking place, you know, it's the same as like uh, when a football player signs his contract and he gets his guaranteed money, then he starts getting his year to year. Like when someone like Kanye (laughs) signs on, uh, Coachella probably paid X amount of money to just even hold him and hold his guarantee. Like that's kind of par for the course. So, you know, right off the bat, just by making that decision, he's probably handing over that and maybe plus a penalty or something like i have to imagine that with his track record that could actually be a part of it like i don't know you know this is sources said because no one actually fucking <laughs> yeah. knows um the idea that he's like canceling it cuz he wasn't working like who the fuck knows that that sounds like uh someone from like the Coachella side of things like kind of playing pr a little because If he's saying nothing, they have the opportunity to make him look bad. Um, I mean, he's been really, you know, recently going out there and putting his neck out for some pretty awful people. Uh, You know, there was talk of him wanting to bring, like, Travis Scott on to share his, like, Coachella set. So, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of bizarre, you know, uh feathers he was rustling that that kind of you know a lot of powerful people are probably behind this Coachella thing and a lot of people with money similar to his who who maybe are also playing power games and shit like i don't know so i think at this point we're dealing with like some rich uber rich wealthy crazy asshole and all his uber wealthy rich counterparts like trying to get what they want like i don't know what the fuck is going <laughs> on with this guy but he didn't get a fucking white horse for this one. Uh, you know I, oh, know? I
0: don't know. The polo ground. You never know. Um, no, maybe. No, but hey, man. Kanye, smart enough. He's like, I'm going to just get the insurance. So he's probably getting paid either way. <laughs> Always take the
1: insurance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that's the kind of stuff like, like no one knows what's going on yeah. behind the scenes with this. Like, that's where it's... This is some... You know, this is big business shit. Mm. Like, Like, don't... Make no mistake about what's happening here. Like, Kanye was being paid probably close to like you know half a million to a million dollars plus to do this show maybe no more probably uh he's probably getting that a night you know and the people putting on this show are invested you know like billions and billions of dollars and all sorts of different things like the ties to this stuff are insane you know um so who, who knows what kind of back room Cigar smoking BS is going on right now.
0: Oh, Benny, if you're not, here- I'm just. This is my.
1: This is what I'm doing to yeah. Kanye West now. Yeah. he wants to do certain things. He's getting lumped in with rich, fucking psychopath, wealthy people who have no connection to humankind at mm-hmm. all. I don't give a shit about his music. I don't give a shit about his shows. He is lumped into that category now. Good for you, Kanye. Mm-hmm. You're you're Jeff Bezos in my <laughs> mind.
0: Oh, Benny, if, if, if you did not come here today for uh, rich backroom deal talks, just wait till we get to Phil Mickelson. Anyway, <laughs> but that's not yet. We're going to transition into the sports department here, Benny. Please hey. Get me out of this. Yeah. Kind of, you got me all worked up. <laughs> I'm, sorry. God makes I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
1: God makes me mad. Do we need to take five? Do we need another no, clip? Just give, me, give, me, give me two
0: breaths. Okay. All right, I'm good. I'm good. All right. I'm going to utter four words to you. Give me some
1: are... baseball. Baseball makes me Exactly.
0: Relaxed. And I'm going to utter four words to you that are going to change your entire mood. Benny, happy opening day. Oh, thank you. We, happy opening day to you. That's right. We, you know, we went through a dark off-season mm. uh, that was clouded in a bunch of things, but when absolutely nobody was paying attention, baseball messed around. I was like, you know what? Designated hitter, Universal mark it down that's right the baseball got rid of pitchers hitting um in the national league during the new cba and you know i kind of feel like a like a, like an ex-lover that never quite got to say goodbye <laughs> to it because we've kind of been this new era of baseball long other days of bartolo cologne just like slapping dingers uh, yeah but uh MLB agreed to it after a year that saw the highest strikeout percentage in the league's history, which is pretty crazy. So, Benny, um, a lot happening in baseball right now in an effort to up the offense again. It's funny. They take away the steroids. The offense goes down. But, Benny, what are you going to miss about pitchers hitting regularly? Nothing. Nothing. Oh,
1: no. Oh, I could give a shit. Yeah, I love how everyone brings up Bartolo Colon, like, out of, like, a hundred years of shit, there's like one, you know, comically charming situation (laughs) where like an overweight old pitcher hit a couple home runs and that's what we're going to hang on to this fucking rule for. You know what I think of? I think of like the thousands upon thousands of embarrassing, you know, bullshit number nine hole at bats. I've seen that should have been a real hitter the entire time taking away my sports enjoyment. I think it's a long time coming, man. I was raised without it, essentially, as a Yankees fan, you know? And then the introduction of Interleague, like, not only showcased this to me, but also made half the league who gave up on hitting a decade before have to try it again. So I'm watching Yankees pitchers who I've been watching for years and years and years all of a sudden have to go hit. When I'm watching, like, Dellen Batances hit. (laughs) Oh my it's the worst thing I've ever seen and like the uh, bats are awful they always have been the guys can't even bunt they can't even get on base so it's it's been illustrated by some of the worst at bats I've ever seen they look like children and and as you said um, it also helps the the increasing uh, pitching versus batting predicament we have in baseball now. You know, 50% of number nine hitters are turned into real hitters with a whole lot more options of what you can do with your offense and pitchers not getting basically like an at bat off, uh, you know, once every three innings. So I'm here for it. Love it. Glad to see baseball making some changes,
0: man. I don't know why I was expecting you to be a baseball purist. With this uh, particular thing, did,
1: did, don't you remember me saying there should be a <laughs> uh, uh, an infield goalie uh, blocking right. <laughs> people before they get to bases? I'm all for. It. I'm like Randy Quaid in Caddyshack too. Uh, you better make that the uh, video. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, Benny, I was trying to. Uh, like, give it, it's in memoriam, it's send-off, but you made a lot of, of, of good points there. <laughs> Did I give it a Viking funeral for you? Here is the, here is... Light that boat on fire, Danny. Here's the downside, though, right? Okay. When you're at an NL Park, specifically one that has a, a great beer selection. You start getting to the bottom of, of the... Oh, okay. It's around the third inning, you're like, when am I going to go take my bath and break? You're
1: losing your yeah, intermission. Yeah, you're <laughs> absolutely losing it, which is maybe
0: what baseball wants, I don't know.
1: You're losing your intermission. Okay, that's fair. That's fair.
0: All right, Benny, next headline today. Thank God the Masters has Tiger back at this year's tournament. Um, as we're recording Yikes. this, he's still currently golfing. Because otherwise, we'd be talking about the absence of Phil Mickelson. And as you guessed it, right now, we're going to talk about Phil because that's, that's juicier. Tiger? It's like, okay, we well, Talk to me on Sunday. Um, But the former Masters champion is not at Augusta this week, taking a step back following his controversial comments about Saudi Arabia, which actually weren't that controversial, if you're like a decent human. Um, But it's the fact that he got in business with Saudi Arabia um, and then kind of talked about it later quite differently that got him in trouble. Um, Essentially, he's going into business with Saudi Arabia to create a potential PGA Tour rival. So, Benny, got to ask you this. With Augusta mm. this weekend, was it smart for Phil to lay low?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think he had much of a choice either. Like, uh, I would have been shocked if he showed up uh, not only following what he did, but following the, the the commentary which followed. I mean, it would have been the worst elephant in the room. No one would be enjoying this resurrection of Tiger Woods, who I think is taking, like like, rhino horn or something. <laughs> like, he's... I don't know how that body is still operating the way it is. What, what are these rich people put into themselves? Yeah. Guys <laughs> like me, me or like you, like we'd, be, we'd be crawling around <laughs> if we had the injuries attack. Or that. But this was like a really crazy story. I mean, you know, the idea that the Saudi Arabia and the Saudi golf league existed, like, you know, they've been playing tournaments over there for a long time. Uh, you know, athletes and the leagues that represent them and their sponsors have been turning a blind eye to local atrocities time and time and time and time again to make money. Sports washing happens like constantly. Um, so, you know, the fact that a sports league was going over to do something with Saudi Arabia was not unique, but the person like spearheading it, trying to get players to come over giving Saudi Arabia their like piece of shit receipt list in an interview (laughs) and 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 essentially like making himself look like one of the biggest pieces of shit on earth because he was saying yeah Saudi Arabia does this, does this, does this. They just executed 80 people for some awful things. But I don't care. It's more important to me to use this as leverage to the PGA, which is essentially what he said. So it's kind of horrifying on a human level, and uh, sociological level like the kinds of things he was uh, willing to pander to or ignore in order to get what he wanted but you know what the sad fallout of all of this is what he kind of got what he wanted
0: <laughs> how
1: <laughs> so this is where i'm like terrified about this year you know like like we all hated Kyrie irving for like six months he got everything he wanted like, like Phil Mickelson does this, he's completely lambasted. One of the reasons he did it was because he was asking for, you know, these other players were, were really excited about a shorter schedule, right? Like, like we only get to go to this many tournaments and make this much money when, when the tour makes us do this stuff normally. And that was something golfers were asking for. They were asking for that pace of play stuff where, where every, you know, golfer starts on a different hole of the course and the whole thing is over quicker. They were asking, they were doing a team format where they were putting golfers together and doing things as teams and all of these things they were trying to like push into the PGA and it wasn't happening. Now it kind of is and they're starting to get warmer to it. So like the threat of all this happening and him doing it did create some change in the PGA. So again, bad behavior
0: is uh, kind of rewarded, you know? See, I kind of have a different view uh, on this. So he was asked by the reporter, right, about the whole thing. And we always talk about how athletes are just giving us, like, a line of bullshit. I don't Mm. think this was Phil being like, okay, you can debate getting into business with Saudi Arabia, right? I think he was just being, like, unscripted and not on a PR leash and it bit him because he was saying everything that was on, on his mind. And normally we would celebrate that.
1: It's, and, and I mean, yeah. And I guess the thing in this case is like, he didn't say anything that wasn't true. Right. I think the thing that put him in like the crosshairs of humanity was the fact that like, he was so unabashed and saying, I recognize these things all to be true. And I don't care just so I can get what I want. Yeah. You know, I think that was what was like the ugliest part of it, you know? Um, was that part. But you're right in a way. I mean, like, uh would LeBron James ever dare like going into China and that saying,
0: way? Yeah. Yeah, no, he wouldn't.
1: You know, like, no, 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 you're probably right. Like, so I guess there's some element to, element of truth to that.
0: The stones of taking their money, saying, "Hey, you guys are, are fucked up," but they actually need you because you're one of the biggest names on the tour. I I, I think it's pretty cool. You still have blood. Saudi
1: Arabia might get might, you, might get your ass beheaded though.
0: Well, Russian roulette, Benny. Saudi Saudi Arabian roulette. You never know. Life is the game, baby.
1: <laughs> Life is the game. Oh man, Saudi Arabian roulette.
0: <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> It's better than Qatari roulette. You're
1: talking about people's <laughs> heads. We're talking about people's heads. This is bad.
0: Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Oh, man. Just a complete sidebar, Benny. We're, we're going to have the same conversation when it comes to this World Cup in in Qatar, oh, Qatar however man, you say shit. that, because yeah. I watched that draw for Team USA the other day because I had to. Oh, my gosh. Idris Elba right there in the middle of all of the Qatari propaganda.
1: Let me, let me tell you two places they don't like Jews. Guitar and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. All right.
0: All right. Well, all right, next headline today: Benny, the Los Angeles Lakers. They entered the NBA's diamond anniversary season as Western Conference favorites. Uh, they boasted four players on the top 75 greatest players of all time. The, the accolades were rolling in. It was supposed to be this great season. We have winning time on HBO. Well, all of that came crashing down this week when the Lakers did not even make the play-in tournament. Um, so there's a bunch of different ways we can go. You know, we the, this has been a hard one to keep the optimism episode. Um, <laughs> but f- I, I got two questions for you here. And I got I, an optimist again to this. Okay, cool. So right. I'm going to start though with: Can you think of a more disappointing team in NBA history than these Lakers? I mean, uh, n-
1: no, no, not really, because of the the simple expectations. Like, like you know, the two main players from this team, even though it was a bubble one, won, won a championship. Um, and, you know, I try to think of some of the examples, I guess, like, you know, like when they brought, like, Malone and Stockton in or, like, some of the, you know, the, the big groups they've brought together. And, and this does seem like one of the most disappointing and maybe it's because of like all right there. there's a lot to there's a lot to dig into yeah. here. but yes oh. yes i think at this rate at the very least it has to be chalked up as one of the biggest blunders in nba history yeah and it's not only because of the talent on here i mean you have lebron and ad so right off the bat we should not be talking about a non-playoff situation you know like if this was a few years ago, you chalk up any LeBron James team to be in the playoffs. It mm-hmm. didn't even matter who was with him on the cabs. He's still going to get to the playoffs somehow, you know, and, and now you're adding uh, Anthony Davis to that mix. So, you know, the fact that we're talking about not making the playoffs uh, instead of like a first round exit or a second round exit is like pretty alarming. And I think, One of the the factors that's adding to it is all these what ifs, you know, like last year they have the number one defense in the NBA. And, you know, you opted to let Alex Caruso go. You traded away KCP. You traded away. Harold Kuzma, I think, was probably going to be gone anyway. Um, So I don't want to nail him on that too bad. And then bring in like Malik Monk, bring in Carmelo Anthony, even Kendrick Nunn, who might've helped him on offense, wasn't going to help him on defense. So right off the bat, you are completely changing the style of play from a defensive-minded coach, right? Like that's Vogel's thing is he can get people to play defense and you just took his away ability to do that. And the two people who took his ability, a way to do that are Rob Palenka and LeBron James. Um, And then when you find out, you know, people like to talk in hindsight that this, this buddy heel trade was on the table. Uh, DeMar DeRozan was more than happy to come to LA and then they didn't want that and chose the Russell Westbrook path instead Uh, was semi delusional. It was mostly completely ostracized by people who followed basketball and a few people within this one organization convinced each other it was a good idea. And as you led this off with like, I don't think there's any place to put this now besides for one of, if not like one of the biggest disappointments in NBA history. Yeah.
0: I can't think of a title favorite, like, like a legitimate people were like, Oh, this team's going to win the NBA title that did not even make, uh, like the the playoffs, let alone be like the ten seed. So without
1: devastating injury, right? Like right, these, exactly. That's like, the Yeah. Made. Yeah. Um, Hundred yeah, um, percent. You know. And here's my theory. Yeah. Okay. I have a theory. Okay. Because because you know so many people had this as like a head scratcher, delusional move. They're like, why did you do this? I really do think this was ego, and this was a small group. Of LeBron James Anthony Davis and whoever it was in the front office convincing themselves it doesn't matter who we play with we are this good we'll take you there get us a couple shooters we'll we'll pick up the pieces at the waiver deadline we'll pick up the pieces at the trade deadline and then we'll go from there and and we'll be in such a you know, will be 10, 15, 20 games above 500. So, so I can take a rest night. AD can take a rest night. And now we have Russell Westbrook who can go motor 45 minutes. Like I thought they really saw themselves as such a complete package that they viewed Russell Westbrook as much more of a complimentary piece than he wound up being. And I don't think anybody imagined him having nearly as much responsibility as he had during the year. So, I think it was finally like that that thing I respect about LeBron so much which was him betting on himself and and that being, you know, half driven by his own ego and bravado which a guy like LeBron James needs to survive and at age 37 that Policy
0: finally bit him in the ass, you know? And you know what's funny about the Russell Westbrook conversation because he's taken a lot of heat? These last 20 games, Russ has actually been pretty good. He's been pretty good. So, But where where I think that this is all going to come down to, which I I think it's going to be a fascinating case study going forward, is I don't think we've ever had a talent player agency have such a hold in an organization like Clutch has in the Los Angeles Lakers. So... Yes, Phil Jackson is making the decisions there. Rob Palenka is making decisions there, right? But, like, also, like, Maverick Carter has their ear. And he's, like, in there. So it's going to be interesting to see... Like the one chance that a player had to kind of creep in and, and really be making brass level decisions with him and his company, it goes like this. I mean, one, yes, yes, you're gonna have the one title, but you're also gonna have two missed playoff appearances and a play and tournament exit. So I don't know, it's interesting.
1: I think more than that too, it's it's the the mortgaging of the future. Yeah. And and here is where I get to the optimistic side of this point, yeah. which I know you've been waiting for. I've
0: been waiting for.
1: Is like on paper as you figured out in your trade machine last night, (laughs) there are no realistic good options to get Russell Westbrook out of Los Angeles and create a team around what they have based on the fact that they have no draft picks, no assets, no nothing. So when you look at this team on paper, with the exception of hoping LeBron James is much healthier six months from now, when he's creeping into age 38, hoping that Anthony Davis, who's never been healthy, is going to be healthy. Like There are so few options out of it that I think LeBron has to have a nuclear model in mind. And I believe the nuclear model has to do with him personally ousting Rob Palenka, putting himself in that seat, and somehow in the course of next season to the season after, working his way into the Lakers front office in some way in a GM type capacity, half player, half GM, something. But like you said, he's already got the control. He's already taken blame for it. So what is he going to want to do more than anything now? He's going to want to fix it and he's going to want to take the credit for fixing it. So if there's an optimistic way out of it, I think, we're getting like proper King LeBron James shit in the next few years, where he's going to start climbing up his uh, his mountain to the to the U.S. presidency or something.
0: LeBron going all Jackie Moon, booking the bear fight for halftime is is exactly right. the next chapter I want. That's right.
1: <laughs> I want to see some movement, seahorses.
0: <laughs> oh man! But let's so we you know we 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 talked about the negative. Benny, because this is a problem and solution podcast. We state the problems, we talk about the problems, but we also come up with solutions. Yeah. So, say we're Rob Palenka, how are we fixing the Lakers? With the caveat, before we get fired,
1: I think there's there's something to be learned in, and let's bear in mind there's a lot more options with what I'm about to talk about, but uh-huh. there's some that. I liked what the Dallas Mavericks did this year when at one point they just decided, okay, this experiment is over. Porzingis is dead weight to us. It doesn't matter what we get back. We need to start over without this. And I think more teams should take that approach where like, if you know on paper that it's going to be a loss in the future You know, like, if you know for a fact, like, okay, this is a dead fucking contract. We're going to have to pay it anyway. We got to get out from it as quickly as possible. So I could see something in sort of like a like a John Wall thing for Russell Westbrook next year. You know, like, I don't know how you trade Russell Westbrook. Like, you can't. He's just getting more and more expensive. And, you know, like you would literally... I can see like the only option at this point being like, okay, we will take nothing for Russell Westbrook. We will give you anything you want to just take this off our hands and take this money, you know, like an OKC who finds themselves, you know, needing to spend $30 million to not pay a fee or something like that is kind of the only option. Cause uh, you know, or, or do you, do you try to trade one of LeBron or AD? Like like do you think after this season with Rob Linka you know fucking up his standing so hard that you're gonna have a GM like confident enough and uh getting the moxie enough from the from the from
0: the team to be able to trade A D or LeBron before next season? There is one GM as you're going through this that and one guy in, that is a decision-maker in the NBA that I think lines up to be a trade partner with the Los Angeles Steve Lakers. Bomber? No. No, <laughs> I think... I, listen, I, I, I hope some of those Lakers got real comfortable in Orlando because they have some pieces. They're kind of middling. There's some young guys that you can add to LeBron. I think that that could be a... like. Listen, I'm just spitballing off the top of my head here, but I think they have... A, a bunch of their first round picks. I think that you know you they throw in picks, young guys, A D, at least you're starting to set the trajectory for the future.
1: I mean, I like yes, I agree like AD could could be part of this, but there are no picks. There's not a pick till twenty twenty seven. No, and who are you getting
0: these... it from Orlando for now?
1: Oh, okay, okay. You're getting something yeah. back from Orlando for now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. If, if uh, Orlando wants to fuck with the uh, Mo Bombo Wendell Carter Jr. Project <laughs> that's going on over there, which is pretty brilliant. Yeah. I mean, we'll see some options, but I'd prefer going into the uh, LeBron GM option. I like that. I love that. I, I, think, I think he goes straight in, starts wearing like really like over the top fur coats or something and really like gets a persona. Yeah. Like you said, Jackie Moon style might be the only way his kid gets into the league too. Um, you know, I was just talking about some. Can we finish the show on the yeah. fact that like a naming your kid after you when you're as famous as you are is already kind of like tough and then like anointing your son as an NBA player when they're like a freshman in high school and like the eighth best player on their team and he's kind of short and he's not like some huge prospect. Like, is it helpful to him to keep anointing him like a definitive NBA player? It's kind of mean. Kind of sets, like, a weird standard. Like, what if this kid loves to paint, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, that's what Space Jam 2 was about. But you you know it's even even crazier, right? Like, just from a pure basketball perspective, Bryce is a better shooter, and he says nothing about his game. So it's like, what are we even doing here?
1: Yeah, what's going on with Bryce, huh? (laughs) He's the funny one, too. He's the one who does a great LeBron
0: impression. (laughs) I don't know. We have bunch to mull over um we we head to the playoffs this week exciting times around here uh anything happy baseball happy play exactly anything before we get out of anything that you're looking forward to um, as we go toward the play-in tournament you know what i'm i'm
1: looking forward to denny what is i'm looking forward to taking the crown in (laughs) jeff rosenstock's fantasy league matt you're going down i got two nights of ben mclemore
0: coming at you
1: you're through (laughs)
0: It all comes full circle here on the tune-up. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, it is the TuneUp HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher as well. So, Benny, you got anything else?
1: E-L-E, baby. Everybody love everybody.
0: The show has ended. The Lakers season's over. Go in peace. (laughs) You've been listening to the tune-up.